0: This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Swami B.V. Tripurari. He is a lifelong monk and practitioner of godya, uh, a tradition of Hinduism that advocates the path of devotion, bhakti yoga. And uh, he has been uh, involved since the 1970s and has been kind enough to take time today to come on uh, our podcast with us. Uh, Swami, welcome to the show, and thank you so very much for taking the time to come on.
1: Nice to be here, thank you very much for inviting me.
2: Swami, uh, why don't we begin by uh, telling our listeners something about your uh, personal path, how you came to uh, the tradition of of Vaishnavism and uh, something about those origins.
1: Well, of course, that's always a long story. I'll try to make it uh, brief. But uh, I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and uh, and I had a leaning towards, uh, when I understood religion, to kind of go all in, so to speak. But I found the uh, the Jesuits that I was schooled by to be, in, in my experience, in that limited realm of um, schooling, to be less than ideal in character. So it kind of uh, turned me away from that pursuit and that, that coincided, of course, with the uh, alternative culture in the '60s and so forth. So um, I looked east and uh, was fortunate to find uh, a qualified guide, and um, and uh, was brought into the tradition of, of of bhakti yoga. And as I say, my my leaning was kind of a, towards monasticism, I guess, from from the beginning and um, that was well received by my by my guru, and uh, I spent many years in India with him and abroad in the states and uh and uh he left the world in nineteen seventy seven at that time he uh, uh implied me that there was a possibility that I might be able to uh, um, serve the interests of the tradition independent of the institution that he had formed and um He also recommended a contemporary of himself, who I might uh, get further guidance from. And as it turned out, that did seem to be um, the way uh, to proceed. And so uh, I left the main institution, and I uh, came under the guidance of, as I say, one of his contemporaries, a contemplative himself in India, who uh, in around 1985 uh, had asked me to start something of my own, so to speak. So I began to write and, uh, and uh, accept some students um, with my main focus really being on a kind of a, a reading congregation. So I've written a number of books, and I live more of a contemplative life than, than not. Um, but uh,
2: Swami, if I can interrupt, yeah. can you do, sure. you do you mind naming the uh, people and institution you're referring to? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I became a member of uh, ISKCON,
1: International Society for Krishna Consciousness, the founder of which is AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. And I was initiated by him uh, three initiations, the third being the, into the Sannyasa Order, the Renounced Order of Life in 1975. The other two came in 1972. And um, subsequent to separating from that uh, main institution, I came into the guidance of uh, Swami B.R. Sridhar, Dave Goswami, of Navadweepa, uh, West Bengal, where our tradition actually has its uh, its uh, historical origins, mm. and spent a good amount of time there, and subsequently formed an institution entitled uh, Shri Chaitanya Sangha, and uh, we have um, an ashram here in Northern California, one in uh, the Asheville area of North Carolina, and one in uh, on the western side of Costa Rica, so I circulate be- between them, and... Um, spend a lot of my time writing.
0: Swami, if I could ask a follow-up on that. Sure. uh, It's very common in any spiritual tradition for uh, there to be divisions or uh, uh, people moving on in different directions. Uh, Was there any one particular reason why you left Ishkan? And uh, was there much controversy at the time when you did? Or was it just a very easy and smooth transition for you and for them?
1: Well, it it wasn't an easy uh, transition. Um, And the the sadhu, the saint uh, whose guidance I came, um, his good guidance was was recommended uh, to all of us, not just to myself. Um, I happened to be present at the time when that was recommended. And um, it wasn't a mandate, but for philosophical guidance, if needed, this is someone you could see. Um, and um, I thought that that was needed. I felt that the um, succession, if you will, um, that was uh, led by contemporaries of myself uh, within the institution, uh, were they weren't as um, compelling uh, by their example and uh, and precept, and uh, at the same time um, they appeared threatened. By someone much senior to themselves, who had, you know, been brought into the picture, kind of, at at the last moment, um, based on, uh, uh, you know, a few words of advice or suggestion, by our um, our guru. Um, and uh, I wasn't the only one who felt that uh, the that elderly uh, person, B. R. Sridhar Murthy, was was a was a, a, a much better example and. Um, more inspirational, but um and I think that that's come to the pass historically. I think that's acknowledged everywhere at this point, but at the time uh, it was seen as um, uh, as uh, heretical i suppose mm. to to leave your your guru, so persons like myself were more or less labeled as um, as uh, rejecting their guru, which was hardly the case. Um, to accept further guidance and guidance that had been recommended, for that matter, um, was something that I don't know wasn't that well understood. I don't think by the group. We all had one guru for a long time, and yeah. he was our everything, and so forth. So I can understand why it was hard for them to understand and so forth. But then they were trying to become the some of the you know the the, the leaders, the leadership, spiritual leadership of the helm of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, and oh, well, you know, they struggled. They didn't do the greatest job at first, and uh, and rather than Take some advice or guidance, um, they determined that 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 uh, that guidance and advice was was off grounds, so to speak, so we had to go separately and uh, Marsh told us, if you leave, you leave with nothing you only your faith and so forth and and um, he didn't have a big institution to bring us within. he was a contemplative living a solitary life for the most part so we a uh, so few of us uh, took uh, his advice and some of us started our own institutions, so there's there's a there's a couple of others like myself um, have a similar history.
2: Yes, and uh, you were very kind. There was uh, most people may not know, but uh, many do that uh, ISKCON ran into some very uh, difficult times after uh, Prabhupada passed, and yeah.
0: um,
2: mm-hmm. and some of it was rather alarming to many people. Yeah. So. Um, and we've had, uh, we have had uh, Radhanath Swami on uh, a couple of years ago. So you're the second uh, person from that tradition who teaches on his own that we've had on. And, and it's, uh, it's always a welcome story and an interesting one to hear. Um, tell us, if you would, um, on your website, you refer to yourself as a Vaishnava analytic theologian. Uh-huh. I, didn't write, I didn't write that. But. Oh, you didn't? Okay, well, you are referred to as a Vaishnava analytic theologian. Perhaps you could tell us what that means and, and maybe begin by explaining what Vaishnavism is for people uh, who don't know.
1: Yes, uh, all right. Well, Vaishnavism is, uh, uh, refers to the worship of Vishnu, and uh, Vishnu is, of course, the form of God that... Uh, has different incarnations, appearances, and so forth. From our perspective, our particular form of Vaishnavism, a devotional form of Vedanta, if you will. Vedanta has various schools. The majority of them are actually devotional. The more widely known one is 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 more of a monistic uh, uh, tradition, where worship is not the end goal, but a means to an end of knowledge. In our schools, the Vaishnav schools of Vedanta. Worship and love, if you will, is the is the means and the ends as well. So there is an interplay in transcendence between the absolute and the and and and, and the and the individual selves, if you will. There is a non-duality, but it's a kind of a kind of a non-duality like you and I are one because we're friends, if you will. So in in substance, in feeling, uh, we are one, even while there's the two of us. And love, for example, you and I become we. I mean, you don't cancel out, I don't cancel out, but there's a there's a third now dynamic that we're part of. So, Vaishnavism has this as its ideal that kind of um, kind of I would say a, a nuanced and uh, moving form of non-dualism, dynamic form of non-dualism, rather than a static "shanti, shanti, shanti," which is You know, peace, 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 the end of the war and the struggle of material existence, the struggle with the mind and the senses. That has to come, of course, that end. But does the war end and that's it? Or is there there commerce after that, an interaction? So we would look at it as if there is, and that is an interaction with the absolute in transcendence. So that makes for a transcendence then that is uh, variegated, if you will which speaks, I think, more charitably of different spiritual traditions that are different in their way, if you will, in their means and in their language and terminology, um, and even have a different goal of sorts, even while there's much similarity between all paths of mysticism. So it means to say that uh, that the goal is one, but it's also different at the same time for each each tradition, a different pocket, if you will. Of transcendence to enter into, so Vaishnavism, uh, in our particular form of Vaishnavism, it centers on 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 the Vishnu form of of Krishna, um, and um, and so that's Vaishnavism. And as far as being analytical, um, whatever they said, uh, <laughs> Analytic theologian, theologian, yeah, I, I didn't, I haven't even read that site. to Be honest with you, <laughs> but uh, I think that um, what they mean by that is that. Uh, there's there's kind of two sides to me. Uh, one's, in, in a sense, one side is a very internal side that's very relative to practitioners in our tradition, where I'll speak theologically um, in ways that if you haven't been involved, you, you probably get, get, get lost, not because you're not intelligent, but you're just not familiar with the terminology and so forth. And then there's another side of me, and this reflects on my, the influences of my two gurus, Prabhupada and, and Sridhar Maharaj. Prabhupada was more more. I'm an extrovert, really. He was traveling all over the world, and um, sharing um, his insights very widely, as wide as possible. Um, and uh, Puja Padshri my, my second guide, he was more um, introverted and and, uh, and 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 a contemplative. I have both sides, but as you get older, as I get older, the contemplative, the contemplative side comes out a little bit more. But as far as the outward side, if you will, the extroverted side, uh, my interest lies there often with the philosophical currents of the time, um, uh, it, informed as they are by uh, uh, scientific data and, and constituting interpretations of that data, often if more than uh, more than not, uh, ends up with a materialistic, physicalist, naturalist um, uh, perspective. And so, uh, I, you know, I find that interesting, and I'd like to offer uh, counter um, arguments to such, uh, f- like a kind of Flatland, if you will, uh, perspectives on the nature of being and reality. <clears throat> so, I analyze that a bit. I suppose maybe that's that, thats the get. I mean, that 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 tradition of analytic philosophy is is, is of course is what it is, and I and kind of enter into the stream of it to some extent, and. And tend to make some uh, comments and written some things about it and so forth.
0: Uh, Swami, uh, you mentioned earlier that you grew up Roman Catholic. I think I remember you mentioning Jesuits. The Jesuits, as I understand, was also raised Roman Catholic. Was uh, were very uh, analytical. Uh, they were sort of uh, the intellects of the church or whatever. Uh, and then you mm-hmm. went to uh, from there. You went to uh, Bhakti Yoga, which is very devotional. And even though Catholicism, Christianity has a a devotional component to it, it wasn't usually associated, as I understand it, with the Jesuits, uh, Was the but at the same time now, in the way you've been described, you were both uh, uh, a devotee, a, a, a bhakti person. Uh, you were practicing bhakti yoga, very devotional, but at the same time, a very analytical mind, which, which is not uncommon amongst people uh, that, that do bhakti yoga. But when you first got introduced to the chanting, Maybe it was through the the uh, Ishkan people. Uh, was that sort of really just a uh, and an aha, a huge opening to you that yes, you, you, you I have this intellectual side to me, this analytical side, but there's this this heart uh, uh, a pre- practice or exercise through Bhakti yoga. Was it something that took you in immediately?
1: Yeah. Well, um, what. Uh What really uh, compelled me, I think, is was the the insight uh, that I arrived at, and through uh, the association that I had, um, that um, intellect is a useful uh, tool, but um, uh, it it isn't capable of um, capturing the, the, the entirety. I mean, you know, you can know everything about it, the physical components of an apple, but if you haven't tasted it, you know nothing about an apple. Um, so uh, that kind of insight uh, hit me very very strongly. The idea that, it's, uh, that there are practices that are trans-rational, that are not irrational, but that they pick up where reasoning leaves off and take us beyond um, the reach of intellect unto itself, which then makes intellect Really beautiful when it becomes a an assistant to one's faith and transrational practices. So the chanting is not a rational exercise; it's a transrational exercise. Uh, but it's reasonable to do, do so. So uh, that's kind of how I you know put 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 together the the the, the 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 move towards devotion, if you will, from analyzing, which I I was doing. And and as, and as you say, of course, at the same time that it's it's the school of bhakti yoga is, uh, I remember once I gave a lecture and there was a fellow in the, in the lecture afterwards he commented, he said, for a for a bhakti, you sure have a lot of gyan or a lot of knowledge. And um, he said, in our ashram, and I don't know which, which one it was, he said, only the ladies have a bhakti for the guru. I said, that could be a problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's not uncommon, as you said, for devotees to have a... Uh, you know, philosophical background underpinning to. I mean, it's a form of Vedanta, so it, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. it, it is a well reasoned path. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is sometimes simplistically presented by some uh, ad, uh, uh, um, members of the monistic perspective. I don't think it's an accurate perspective, but that bhakti is for the emotional, not less intelligent people, and knowledge is for the. Yeah. Intelligent people. Uh, I think it's intelligent to love. I think that love is
2: really the end of, end of knowledge. And there's much to be said about Bhakti of tradition. For, and I've encountered a, a, a large number of uh, reputable scholars who started out mm. as you did uh, with Iskon back in in the day. We had Graham Schweig on the show, for example. And yeah, uh, I know. yeah. I, I assumed you would. Um, speaking of such. Um, when you're with your students or devotees, um, is your sam- uh, your sadhana the same as uh, it is uh, among uh, the other uh, Krishna devotees? Is the maha mantra the centerpiece of, of, of your uh, practices? Are there yes. any that you've introduced?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, there are some uh, differences in uh, our in our school in, in my sect's practices, but they are not uh, differences in substance. I would say they're they're differences in in details. And I think that there are principles in any particular tradition of Vedanta, and then there are details. And the details can be changed or should be changed and adjusted according to the time, circumstance, audience, with a view to engage them in understanding, embracing the principle um, of the tradition. And so. Iskon has some certain uh, details about how the formula, if you will, of practice, of sadhana. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I found that it, it tended to become a little mechanical, and uh, there was a common uh, unfortunate uh, development where practices would be engaging without fully understanding the meaning of them, the implication of the purpose of them, hmm. in which case details become conflated with principles. Details suddenly become principles. And then your your group becomes very insular and it has to do it like this, this is the only way. Because details are gonna be different in different forms of Vedanta and even in different uh, sects within a particular school of Vaishnavism perhaps, because you've got different students maybe from different countries. Um, so I think the teacher has to be realized enough in the substance and grounded enough in it to be able to present the same teaching maybe a, with a different vocabulary, with uh, practices that are different. Some might chant, you know, so many hours on beads. Someone might say, instead of chanting the mantra on beads, we're going to write it down in a book, you know, a mm-hmm. thousand times a day. Uh, you know, so that would, that is what I would mean as a difference in details. Unfortunately, some people think, well, you're not following because they've mis-
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. misconstrued
1: the details to be principles. So given my circumstances, having to kind of, walk out in the street in my pajamas almost if you will dressed as you know as a, <laughs> a as a monk without a whole society behind me and whatnot and start to um to write books i hadn't written but a letter you know or two it but at, at that time i began to write i started a magazine that was entitled clarion call those were the days when uh, the new age term first came out the yoga journal was still in the red <laughs> um and uh, so we were in the news stance and whatnot but then i found that Keeping up with the periodical almost was 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 troublesome. So I, I shifted to writing about books, and I, I wrote books because at that time my guru's books, which were the property of ISKCON, they were they weren't. Um, I wasn't allowed to purchase them. That's how much wow. friction there was at wow. the time. So I thought, well, I guess I'll have to write my own book. So I did, and I <laughs> and I began to write in a different language, and um, uh, so to speak, with different vocabulary and. Uh, And, uh, you know, a number of my students have come from ISKCON kind of with a kind of broken faith and had to mend it. So that's a little different than than mentoring to someone who's new off the street to Mm. anything about Vedanta. Mm -hmm. So there are some differences, but they're not, you know, substantial differences. There's another sense in which there are differences, and I think that that um, comes from the fact that ISKCON, for example, is a very large organization. And um, the growth of the organization is often thought to be synonymous with, with success in, mm. in the full sense of the term. And I don't quite look at it like that. Um, after all, you know, it, it's about ourselves <laughs> becoming uh, spiritually uh, alive and, and, and awake and being able to traverse the inner lands- interior landscape and so forth. So when you have a smaller group and you're not really trying to... I'm not very evangelical I'm trying to bring new members. It doesn't really mean a lot to me. I'd like to share the ideas that uh, stimulate me and excite me and so forth. And if people are interested in them, fine. We get together and talk about them and put them into practice. But having a smaller group, I think that you can go deeper. And this tradition of Vedanta, like anyone, any tradition of Vedanta, has a lot of depth to explore that, that in pursuit of expanding it, it, it could be at the cost of the depth. I mean, that's just a kind of a practical reality. The broader you become in the circulation, well, the more you're going to give a surface kind of presentation of it. So I, I think that Iscon tends to be a little more fundamentalist in its orientation to the tradition itself. Um, and our orientation is it's a little more uh, esoteric, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Swami, uh, I have one last question for you, then I'll turn it over to Phil. Well, well, I'm very curious, what's a typical day like for you? Do you follow the same routine on a daily basis, pretty much? And what, if so, what is that?
1: Pretty much I do, um, wherever I go. Um, and I rise at about 3 in the morning, and I I do japa of the of, of, of Nam, the name of Krishna, on, on a mala of 108 beads. And um, for... Uh, uh, much as four hours uh, a day. And um, here, well, um, my situation is a little different. In, in, in here in Northern California, it's kind of like a, a small uh, ashram that's really kind of uh, home based for me, a few intimate students, and um, um, I do more of my writing here and so forth. Um, so I'll rise early, chant, uh, and so forth, I'll go on a walk with some students, speak with them, um, and then I'm, you know, throughout the day pretty much reading, writing, um, and, um, and chanting, speaking with students, that's what I do. When I go out from here to our ashram in, in North Carolina, in Asheville, and in, in Costa Rica, then students from other parts of the world often come and spend time there while I'm there. And there I give, give a discourse in the morning, and often in the evening as well. Sometimes it'll be a series, you know, seminar on a particular, particular topic, and um, and I, uh, you know, make myself available for personal uh, uh, interactions with, with with students who I haven't seen in some time, and so forth. So that's that's basically how I, I keep uh, I spend my time. Bill, mm-hmm.
2: cool. yeah, I have a, a couple of questions uh, for you. I well I have a lot, but we have limited time um back in the in the 70s when you first got involved with uh Prabhupada and and the world knew of ISKCON because they were very visible in the, in the streets uh chanting and uh <laughs> selling gitas um yeah. there, there was a certain demographic it was it was a you know the young hippies were attracted to it i'm curious now all these years later um what the demographic is uh, uh, with the students who are drawn to you? Uh, what, what are their ages? What are they like?
1: Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, as I mentioned, um, the orientation uh, of mine at, at this time, and, and since I left this gone, has not been really to collect new members, so to speak. Um, but... Um, you know, when you write books and you and people read them, well, then you, you want to visit you. You, you tend to um, welcome them, and so um, I gathered some students through that, uh, through a, a reading a congregation. Um, and and again, a number of them have come from um, Iscon, or mm, yeah, from from Iscon, because the situation wasn't working for them. Their the philosophical questions weren't answered to their satisfaction they weren't feeling nourished there Um, and many of them with kind of um, uh, you know they were damaged good so to speak from a faith perspective and um, they you know the the internet was born you know so people had access to my thoughts that were uh, on the internet and in in literature and so forth and and so um, uh, you know I I would say that probably um, 70% Seventy percent of my students had already some familiarity with Gaudiya Vaishnavism, with Eastern spirituality, and our tradition, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, in particular, and couldn't get further involved. with ISKCON is like a big net, so they're they're everywhere, you know, canvassing and creative ways and so forth. So, the prospect of them contacting people, touching them, and creating faith in them is is is, is you know is, is considerable, but. Uh, it, it it would appear at least that for some of them it 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 only goes so far, and then they find hmm there's problems here with this this is this isn't working for me for one reason or another. And so what do they do with themselves then? Maybe they look on the internet, you know, and they find here's somebody else, and this really speaks to to me. they they, they hear and it sounds like you know I mean really the experience I think of one's guru is not some artificial authority, but a person who speaks he or she in such a way that it. It sounds like that's how I feel. I couldn't articulate it as well, but yeah, that's how I think. I think I think like that. That may I feel like that. That it works with me. So it's more or less, um, uh, you know, one's own heart, so to speak, manifesting externally as a sadhu, a saint, and speaking in a way that hits home. And and then you have now a home-knowing person, in terms of your home-going uh, mission, if you will. So again, a lot of my students are already we're already familiar in some basic way with um with with Gaudiya Vaishnava. Some have confused philosophical ideas that that I've helped them iron out and, and understand the core texts and so forth, um uh, from hundreds of years ago and and, and so on. So uh, mm-hmm. the, you know that's it's a little different answer than you are you are expecting. Yeah, well, it's fine though. It's the way very Where you your voice it would have been would have been good to put towards this going cuz I would be interested to know what their demographic what, what what kind of people are
2: they attracting now? I do not know. I was at yeah. their uh, temple in Bangalore just a couple of months ago and of course that's very different from the worldwide uh, um, following. One last question. We are recording this on April 2nd 20 20- <laughs> Uh, 2020, and right in the middle of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. People might be listening to this interview, you know, two years from now, three years from now, but right now that's where we are. And we're all locked down trying to maintain uh, social distancing, as the term is. What advice do you have, if any, Good for, for people going through this now uh, and who will be going through it, no doubt, in the coming months from a bhakti perspective or your philosophical perspective.
1: Well, I think that, um, that um, there's a um, rich uh, inner life that's available uh, to all of us where we really live is not in the objective world. In at least we live in the, sub- the quasi, I would call it subjective world of our thoughts, which are about things. I call it quasi-subjective because if your thoughts are about things, well, um, it's not entirely subjective. Um, but there is life beyond thought and things or thoughts about things. And um, the Eastern spiritual traditions across the board um, all uh, tell us, and I think wisely so, that the body... Consisting of a mind, let's say, and the mind uh, uh, consisting of of senses, and the sixth sense, let's say, mind, um, when focused on the objective world of matter, well, you know, it it, it makes matter matter, which wouldn't matter otherwise. um, If somebody didn't think about it, wasn't conscious of it, if matter mattered independent of consciousness, you know, who would know about it? Who would care? Um, And so it's the, the 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 inner self who's the care who is where meaning where value lies and so on and so forth and so when we're in a circumstance like this we're held up and so forth there's less opportunity for us to exercise our senses in relation to sense objects and be transported if you will into an identification with the the objective world where things are here today and gone tomorrow and it looks like we will be as well um even if by force let's say you're kidnapped and you're put in, you know, in confinement and so forth. So your senses do not have the opportunity to interact with sense objects, in the way that they did previously. Well, the only way to comfort yourself in that is to become more philosophical, right? More thoughtful. To turn within. So I think this is an opportunity, in one sense, uh, for us to uh, turn um, inward. And there, there are there are any number of practices that could uh, help us in that regard, and perhaps. We may be in this for a long time, for months and and months. And if you have any inclination towards um, meditation, spiritual practice, um, this would be kind of a a silver lining, if you will, to otherwise very um, unfortunate uh, worldly circumstance.
0: Swami, is there there a practice that if somebody were to write you or come to you and say, hey, I'm in this situation, I don't know where to begin, what would you tell them?
1: well um it depend might depend who they are and what and let them give me some more background. you know right. I wouldn't tell everybody necessarily the same thing, but overall what's worked for me is is the is the, uh, is the joppa of the of the name of god um, so and that's something that uh, is accepted in, in in all religious traditions that there's a that there's a sacred uh logos uh, sound, and uh even even from a secular point of view uh sound is uh Take to the streets these days with banners and uh, and and it can take down the, the iron curtain, for example, uh, the, 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 um, um, change the government, so forth. So, efficacy in sound. So I would recommend nam nam japa. Japa means to utter, um, uh, for the most part, inaudibly, rep- repetitively, the name of God, and of course the different names of God. Uh, um, I found that the name of Krishna. Ram and Krishna, this is very uh, effective. We uh, chant the Hare Krishna Maha mantras, it's sometimes called Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, 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 Hare Hare.
2: They can just Google the Maha mantra. Thank you so much, Swami, for yes, thank uh, you. for having uh, taking the time uh, to be with us. Uh, we'll be posting this soon and let you know. Um, continued success in your work, and we'll look forward to uh, learning more about you in the future. Right. And and
0: Swami's website, uh, www.swami.org. Very simple. That'll be posted. And uh, again, uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.